when people look at you and they don't see you, they look past you. It's about believing that something should be different and having the courage to live in that transition zone. We contain multitudes. Why did I feel so awful so much of the time? It is a place that is so steeped in like white patriarchy and yet I never felt more myself and more among black people. In women's rooms, they were basically men's rooms and their urinals were still in there. I feel like I spent so much time trying to educate the Amherst College community that I didn't get enough time to just be a student. This is Black Women of Amherst College, a storytelling project exploring the experiences and impact of Black women in elite higher education. I'm Nichelle Carr, Amherst College, class of 1998. So far in our series, we've learned that Black women have played a significant but often unrecognized role in shaping the agenda and the identity of the college. Now we are specifically focusing on the student experience. In the last episode, I played for you a voicemail from Sarah Bass, class of 2006. We asked the alumni, would you encourage your daughter to go to Amherst College? And when Sarah phoned in, she, like many others, said yes, but with this caveat. For Amherst to serve you, you have to already know who you are when you look in the mirror. This is not to say that you shouldn't be malleable or you're thinking porous, able to change and capable of growth because you should be, but you shouldn't be blank. You need to know your story because then your education becomes a journey not of pleasing others, but of finding your voice. Amherst then becomes a stepping stone, not the destination. So in the last episode in this one, we are looking deeper into that tension between possessing self-confidence and the universal experience of self-discovery that everyone goes through during college. Now we're going to pick up where we left off, listening to the experiences of some of the Black women students and the differences across time and among individuals. For these episodes, I've invited my friend Tanae to serve as guest host. When Tanae and I were students, we founded an organization centered on diversity at Amherst, and the two of us have been working on these issues for a long time. You'll be hearing from me and Tanae in just a moment. First, we'll begin this episode with G, who at Amherst was known as Gannett Wright, and is now a senior attorney in Florida who founded an event series called Thou Art Woman, celebrating LBT women and their allies through narrative, performance, and visual arts. She's also one of the many Black women of Amherst in academia, as a law professor at Nova Southeastern University. G is from Jamaica, and she talks about how her Blackness was a different kind of Blackness. I'm G. Wright Muir, graduating 1995. When I was in college, um, my proper name is Gannett, so I was Gannett Wright. I grew up in Kingston, Jamaica. In Jamaica, I never checked off a form that said black. In Jamaica, I never saw someone on the news like a black person was, there was no, you know. So, I mean, there's issues with race, shade and hair and we have that, but it just, I wasn't prepared for the level of like, you know, I guess, I think they were saying they're doing a good thing, but it also was like, I'm just figuring out this country now. When I came on campus, they had a week early that you could come on for minorities. And I never felt like I was a minority. I came from a country where everybody, well, not everybody, most people look like me, different shades, but black. So um, I remember I lived in Valentine. I crossed the street, I just smoked cigarettes. I sat down 
in front of the Drew House outside. I was nervous and I saw like people inside chatting and I went inside and um, Angela, <laughs> who becomes my best friend, was very friendly to me. I was really serious more. This, I was just taking it in. Like, what is this? Who are these folks? I also felt like in New York City, it's also very ethnic based. So it's like, you know, Korean, Jamaican, you know, Trini. And then I came and it was like all the black folks were together. And I'm like, where is my Jamaican people? And they didn't have it like that. So I met mean, Angela all the time because she's African-American. I'm like, if they had more Jamaican people, I probably would have never become her friend. But it's, it's in a way it's good. It worked out very well. So I had to get used to just like, just like being black in a different way, you know? I smoked a lot of weed. There could be things that happened that I'm like, I don't remember. So it was going to Drew House, Thursday night, Cosby Show, Different World, Sunday night, Living Color. Like, I noticed a lot of what happens in America is, is that we have low expectations of Black people. I grew up where it was like constantly being told, like, I have, there's high expectations for you. Not literally, not literally being said like that all the time, but it was like, what are you doing? We see you up here. You're down here. This is where you need to be, young lady. What are you doing? Constantly, like, you set messaging all the time that like, you are going to be amazing and you're at the top and this is that. And then you come to America and it's just like, no, you're supposed to be down there. Oh, wow, you got good grades. I wonder what happened. Or affirmative action, did that get you here? Like, all these things, messaging of low expectations, you know? I was homophobic back then, you know? I was really homophobic. I didn't see myself as gay. I remember hearing there's a gay organization on campus. I'm like, why is there a gay organization on campus? Like, so coming from Jamaica, where my parents are open-minded because they had been in America and traveled the world, but the world I'm growing up in Jamaica is homophobic. There's no gay organizations and all of this. So I was like, what is going on? So I end up having to come to terms like, hey, I am gay. Early in my marriage, I get married a couple of years after I graduate, have my first son very soon. I'm in law school. I'm having panic attacks. And even when I look back, I'm like, when I was in Amherst, things happen that I look back and I'm like, I had crushes on girls. You know, I like girls, but it's something that I couldn't even accept for myself. I know I just want to help people who are in my situation and I want to help me and anybody in my current, you know, the LGBT communities. I don't think that there was much space for a discussion of Black LGBTQI issues in Amherst. When I think about it, it mimicked how the Black community deals with mm -hmm. queer issues generally in America, which is that it felt like this unspoken thing that we just all kind of had this yeah. tacit agreement that we wouldn't talk about. There was tolerance in the strict sense of the word, right? And that was kind of as far as it went. And there wasn't a deeper conversation, you know, and Black conservatism, a lot of it stems yeah. from the church, right? A lot of it has to do with our religious beliefs, which are not just Black American, but, you know, throughout the diaspora as well. Yeah. Like we had students who we knew were gay and were Black, you know, or queer in whatever way and were also Black. And I just felt like it wasn't really talked about. And they were honestly expected to kind of stay in their box. Right. You know what I mean? 
I remember there being more than just tolerance, but I think that there was a sense that like, this is not a black issue. It wasn't a central conversation within the black community. I hope that that is evolved and, and that the ability for us to have intersectional conversations, right, as Black people with lots of other layers of, of identities. So Katiana is an interesting case. She's a Black American woman from Memphis who became really close with two students, also Black women, from South Africa. She's class of 2018, and she went on to get a master's degree at the University of Memphis, and now works with the American Alliance for Theater and Education. I'm Katiana Dandridge, Amherst College class of 2018. I I didn't feel like I had any other options but college. (laughs) I'm the oldest sister of five. So, you know, me being the first, and luckily it started a domino effect. So as of right now, All of my siblings either have their bachelor's degree already or are working towards it. And my mom, who was a stay-at-home mom for a long time, she just recently graduated. So she has told me that what I did at Amherst and what my siblings have done was really what helped push her to complete that. So I'm really proud of that. I grew up in Memphis, Tennessee. I did feel a little bit insecure about being Southern and people understanding me when I talk. And, you know, there's code switching, but I still felt like people were kind of like put off by my accent or I feel like I was one of the few students that I met, especially in my dorm, that went to a public high school. And so that made me feel kind of like the underdog. As far as like in the classroom, you know, obviously I was turning my code switching on, but I think especially my academic insecurity, I did find out that that was unfounded pretty early on because I would sit in classes and have things to say. And at first, you know, I was like, oh, you know, is this a stupid thing to say or am I interpreting this text right and all that? But just getting props from my professors and, and that kind of thing helped me have more confidence. We're young women, so obviously we wanted to date or be involved with people and stuff, but it was so hard to do that because the black male students on campus were not interested in black females uh, a lot of the time. And then the ones that were, it was like three. (laughs) It was like, you know, we can't be dating all the same guys, but so it's just the pool was very small, so it was very suffocating. And it felt very much like, damn, am I just not good enough? It was very lonely for a lot of people. You do kind of have the implicit understanding as a Black woman that my beauty is not necessarily the type that's desired in this place. I'm not thin. I'm not white. I don't dress this certain type of way. I don't wear my hair this certain type of way. I don't talk like this. It felt like just being who we were was us eliminating ourselves out of the day pool, but it was really us kind of being looked at. It's not really worth any of that. Everything that I've been through, you know, during that four years, you know, any of the stress, anxiety, any of that, I don't think I would redo any of it. 
one of the biggest lessons I learned is like, I'm not afraid to really just speak up and say what I want or ask for what I want and to not feel like I can't ask for what I want just because somebody is giving me something or providing me something. Because I think it's really easy to be like, oh, well, Amherst gave me a full ride and I'm lucky to be here. I can't ask for anything else. And it's like, no, I earned my way into this school. I'm here. And now I do not feel any shame or anything for asking them for what I need to make myself, you know, to be a successful student. So let's talk about dating. Do we have to? No, I'm just playing. <laughs> One of the women from the class of 80 said the same thing. I asked her about dating and she's like, why are we talking about that? And I'm like, because it's a huge part of life in college. Yeah. A lot of what she shared resonated mm. deeply with me. There's a lot of aspects of, of college that really center around hookup culture, right? And there was, at least for me and my close friends, a real sense that we didn't want to engage in hookup culture because there were so many other places in our experience where our self-worth was like questioned. It felt almost like a spiritual decision to be like, I will not, you know, just hook up with people randomly because I like know my self-worth as a Black woman and and other people aren't going to respect it. I think that's so right. You know, it's something that actually one of the professors was talking about that as a Black woman, it's very literal for us, the idea that if we become over-sexualized, like in addition to it being a negative stereotype and this, that, and the other, but that actually what we're working to achieve and our lives will fall apart in tangible ways, right? Because when you think about the idea of like pregnancy and family and this, that, and the other, you know, and when you're supposed to be in college trying to get a career and, you know, all your family's hopes and dreams are dependent upon that, like there's so much at stake, you know, you're standing on the shoulders of these ancestors who are also looking to you to kind of further the family. And as I like to say these days, put everybody on your back, Mm -hmm. put everybody on your shoulders and carry them forward when you have an opportunity like going to Amherst College, you know, the risks are just so high that for a lot of women, and also you don't want to be seen that way. Like you're there to be seen as a student. And because of the risk of being over-sexualized, the idea of just cutting that part of yourself off, you Mm -hmm. know? And and part of it is like Katiana says, we talked to other women who really kind of did that because they also felt like they weren't desired in that way anyway. Kind of like, you know, I'm quitting before you can fire me type thing. (laughs) Like Zora Neale Hurston says, like, the Black woman is the mule of the world. You know, as we talk about it, I think that uh, that's very present, right? Because (laughs) I remember in college, even just like hooking up with somebody or like we like someone and kissing them and like, you know, my grandmother would be over my shoulder, not in reality, but in my head being like, (laughs) girl, you better... Right. What you here for? Mm -hmm. What are you here for? Right. And that was something very present for me. Just like, what am I here for? I'm not here for these silly boys. I'm not here for the the drama. Mm -hmm. I'm certainly not here to get kicked out. Right. Like and lose my scholarship. That's not what I'm here for. 
So what I've learned in talking to a lot of these women is that over time, the role and significance of the BSU has changed. Mm. And there's this woman from the class of 2018 who talks about her relationship with the BSU. Her name is Kendall Ash. She's at LinkedIn, and she's one of an increasing number of Black women graduates at Amherst working in tech. I'm Kendall Ash, Amherst College class of 2018. It was hard to find like strong community within the black student groups. I did not go to BSU really throughout college. The interesting dynamic of the the BSU in my in my experience was just that a lot of conversations like were around growing up without and it's such a delicate subject because I I definitely am not at all trying to say, you know, you can't commiserate over things that ever people have in common, but it felt almost like, well, if you haven't struggled in that way, then you don't get it or you don't get this experience that we're all talking about. And so I remember going probably to the first two meetings my freshman year and I just felt like, well, I know what it's like to be black, but I, I don't know what it's like to not have food on the table or not this and that. And it doesn't make me a better or worse person, but I just felt like I couldn't talk, (laughs) which is a very uncomfortable place because you're like, wait, we're all the same race. We're all going through the same, in theory, like societal oppressions in terms of what it's like to be Black in America. But I just felt as though I was sort of, and this is all coming probably from me. No one said anything to me. It was not like this you can't be here sort of thing, but it just felt like if I hadn't had this like double struggle that I couldn't say much in the conversation or that I didn't have much to contribute. And so as a freshman with a lot of things to do, I stopped going and I just didn't go back. So that breaks my heart. Just the idea that, um, that someone would not feel welcome in a place that should be home base safe space for Black students. How do you think of your identity as a Black woman? Oh, damn girl, that's a deep question. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It is central Mm -hmm. to who I am. It is the source of who I am. Mm -hmm. You know, I think like... <laughs> I I sip from the eternal fountain of black womanhood. There is so much complexity and beauty in uh black womanhood. I have always revered it. Um you know, looking at I grew up in a all female household, an all women household. It was my mother and my grandmother. I revered them because they were mm-hmm. literally life givers, life savers. And I I feel so proud that I am a Black woman. I feel similarly. I often say, knowing everything I know now, I would 1,000% choose to be a Black woman again. There's no question. No question. No question. And like you, I have spent the vast majority of my life in spaces that do not support, acknowledge, cherish, uh, lift up, revere Black womanhood. In fact, quite the opposite. And I think what I've learned is that through that and through my ancestors as well, 
I've learned that black women can do anything, right? Actually can do anything. Yes. Literally anything. Literally anything. The idea of black girl magic is not. It's not fiction. It's not science fiction. fiction. It's science fact. Yeah, absolutely. It's based in real life. I (laughs) are. What's bringing it to mind right now, there there are some women who are reached out to for this project. They talked about how they were made to feel in some way not Black enough. And that makes my blood boil, the idea that, that there's judgment within the community. So it's possibly a reaction to the okay. colorism that demonizes darkness. And so these okay. folks who maybe are light or biracial or come from, you know, not the typical and frankly stereotypical experience of black kind of um, deprivation and underprivilege and this, that, and the other people who maybe don't come from that are somehow made to feel by certain people less than black. It, it pisses me off to no end because, and I realized as I was listening to all these women and doing the work for this project, I realized that I have been lucky or fortunate in that I have never, ever, ever let anyone define blackness for me. I didn't do what was typically black ever or stereotypically black ever, but I never, ever felt like I was anything less than black. Like even when I was in high school, I was like listening to rock music, but whenever it came to talking about race, history, or politics in the classroom, I was always the most forceful about it. So the other black girls who were listening to hip hop, like New Jack Swing was the thing then, they knew that I was down. So when I came to Amherst, you know, I had this very diverse friend group, you know, I did a sport that was not predominantly black. You know, I was active in the BSU and, you know, I lived in Charles Drew House and I did, you know, things like diversity educators. There was no question of my blackness. And I am so angry that everybody who's Black doesn't get to feel that way, doesn't get to feel as welcome, is made to feel some other kind of way about their Blackness. For me, Blackness is a big tent. Vanessa Olivier, Amherst College Class of 2001. I had a roommate who was under the impression that because she came from a very well-to-do family, she was entitled to a room by herself and that me and uh, my other roommate were supposed to be in a room together. And as I was placing things down, her mother approached me and said to me, well, this is going to be my daughter's room. And so you're going to have to move your stuff to the other room. And, you know, I said, you know, can I speak to your daughter? And then when I saw that her mother kept kind of getting involved in the conversation, I respectfully asked her, my mother to leave first, because I'd like to have a conversation with just my roommates. And I said, hey, Sarah, let's talk it out. Let's figure this out. Her mother was kind of like hovering and I was just like, hey, you know, I'd like it if it just could be us. I said that to Sarah, not to her mother. And she asked her mother to leave. When we spoke, you know, she basically said, you know, hold on, let me find the letter. She got the letter and it was the same letter we all had. It never said that she was supposed to have her room to herself. She was like, you know what? It's really my mother that wants me to have my own room. I don't really care. And I was like, well, you know what? It's us who's living here, not our parents. So we worked it out amongst ourselves. The conversation took less than five minutes after our parents left. My freshman year, having conversations about what we called at the time the walk of shame, which is that walk between like the bursar's office and the financial aid office, where it was like 
so obvious to us that the faces that we were seeing uh, of people who had their uh, registration for classes held up due to financial reasons happened to pretty much be a lot of the black and brown folks. And we would have to make this walk (laughs) back and forth on the quad uh, in order to clear up our situation before we could register. And the majority of people that we would see making this walk, you know, happened to look like us. I made it my business for the four years that I was there to bring that issue up every year. I feel like I spent so much time trying to educate the Amherst College community that I didn't get enough time to just be a student. You know, I did well academically. I did well enough to get into really good law schools. But, you know, in terms of really delving into my academic work, uh, I felt like I had to take some time away from it in order to get the college to meet my needs. A lot of students who don't necessarily feel welcome and who are on that, you know, periphery of the school don't get to just be the students that they came to be. I did not find anyone to date at the college. I felt like our numbers were so small in terms of students of color at the time. I was lucky enough to find someone that I was interested in Um, at Hampshire College, and we actually were together for like 15 years and had three children. We're progressing, and many of the things that I fought for as a student, the students who came after me now have. And as a result of them having it, you know, I think they then surrender the need for some of the support groups that we found essential. Talk to each other instead of pass one another. And those are the conversations that I've been really interested in because I feel like, you know, I want to be, offer my support to the current students, whether they need it or not. What you're doing and is is a, a major way to make sure that these conversations keep going and, and take into consideration the fact that we are not all having the same experiences. (laughs) We are all having similar ones, but it's not the same ones. I'm just grateful that more folks are trying to create a a way to memorialize what's happened so that it never gets forgotten and so that students can use it as a tool as they, you know, work their way, move their way through through their experiences. I think that that piece around, you know, the tension between being an activist, being present in all of the spheres in order to represent, uphold, center the experiences that we were having, there was a tension with the academic piece. When I reflect on my experience as a student, I really reflect on how I needed more guidance. I had an advisor in the sociology department that was kind of like, yeah, you know, whatever, do what you want, you know, but I think I needed someone who, because they had the experience of being a Black woman, could understand like the multiple ways in which I was being pulled and could help me really focus in on the things that I need to needed to focus in on. You can't do everything. You are not the president of Amherst College. You are a student here. So Mm -hmm. the problems that the president has to fix are not yours to fix. I mean, I think 
I, I agree with that. But then it's so funny. We say, yeah, you know, you're not the president. This is not yours to fix. But the fact is, so for me, I had a similar struggle in that I spent a lot of time on extracurriculars. And when I think about what my extracurriculars were, almost all of them had directly to do with making Amherst a better place for students of color and women of color. And, you know, it's one thing to hear a professor say, hey, that's a president's problem to fix, not yours. But I'm living in it, right? Mm -hmm. Like I'm a student who has to walk around on this campus and and deal with all the things that make my life difficult and really, really hard. And I've got to be a part of fixing that. You know what I mean? How do you expect me to suffer through that and still be an effective student and still be a fully functioning and blossoming student if I'm in a place that feels oppressive I don't know how I just ignore that. Yeah. You know what I mean? Those extracurriculars, when I think about it now, probably are the thing that made it possible for me to do more in the classroom. But at the same time, I absolutely lost so much time and energy mm-hmm. doing those extracurriculars, making Amherst a better place right. when I could have just been in class. Like all the other folks who, you know, let's just say majority mainstream, whatever you want to call them, folks who um, were able to just go to class you know, go to Valentine, get the food, go home, be done with mm-hmm. it. Or maybe they did a sports team, but still that's, that's, you know, that's their own personal growth. You yeah. know what I mean? That's, it's not the same as like struggling with the administration or struggling with the college, which is what we were doing. I don't know if you can just set that down and just be a student. Cause I yeah. think if we could, it would, we would have. Those four years of my life were probably the shortest time in which I did the most growth. I loved people on that campus. I have a connection that's deep. And I think it's so interesting that like many black students in particular weren't like, whatever, I'm just in, I'm doing my thing and I'm gonna be out. But like we struggled with the place, right? Right, right, right. You know, alongside it and with it. And I think that that, is testament to that like love and commitment. It's hard when it doesn't necessarily feel reciprocated. I feel the college committing to this process and telling the stories of black women feels like a measure of acknowledgement of the deep, deep work that black women have poured into this space over generations. It's a start. Thanks so much again to Tanae for joining me as co-host. After having heard from all these women from throughout the decades, some common themes emerged. Alongside a great deal of joy, intellectual discovery, and self-discovery, these women's experiences were deeply affected by colorism, class, cultural differences, sexism, sexuality, trauma, mental health, all of which can lead to feelings of both invisibility and hypervisibility. These shared experiences often spill over and they inform and drive broader change at the college. Black women frequently find themselves fighting for justice at the college as a required tactic for surviving college. In fact, some of the most significant changes that Amherst has made over the past few decades have been organized and led by Black women and in particular, Black women students. 
We're going to hear about just a few of these stories in our next episode. Thanks for listening to Black Women of Amherst College. This series is a production of Amherst College, WC1 Studios, and Zell Division. I'm Nichelle Carr, executive producer and host. It was edited by Michael Osborne and produced by Jennifer Shu and Trisha Nelson. Our engineers were Erica Huang and Evan Viola. Special thanks to all the women and other members of the Amherst College community who participated in and supported the project, including all of our storyteller interviewees, Tanae Adaro-Howard, President Biddy Martin, Mike Kelly, and the project steering committee, Rhonda Cobham-Sander, Martin Garner, Sandy Janelius, Cree Polk, Kate Salop, Bette Schumacher, Victoria Wilson, and Norm Jones. This series is dedicated to all of the Black women of Amherst College, past, present, and future.